0: Oh, and welcome back to our seventh episode of Opportunity Thrives. where We're committed to better supporting the needs of today's struggling secondary students. Through interviews with students, teachers, administrators, technologists, and education influencers, we want to understand what's working in, in schools today, what's not, and how we can impact positive, lasting change. And we'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions for our show. So please click in the podcast notes to leave us a review, provide your input, or send us any questions. You can also reach us at info at opportunitythrives.com. We are in unprecedented times right now, one that has been particularly difficult on district leaders, students, and parents. Nearly every state, including 124,000 public and private schools and more than 55.1 million students, are all being impacted by nationwide school closures. While districts navigate how to manage the transition to virtual learning and shifting federal and state guidelines, families are tasked with entertaining and educating their children while still managing their own work lives remotely. And these are substantial demands and they're affecting families in very different ways. The sudden shift to eliminate all social interactions and to stay home as much as possible, it's not easy for anyone, but it, be, it can be particularly difficult to transition for teenagers and for their parents. Today, we wanna to talk about practical strategies that districts can share with families to help them manage the new demands of educating their students while still juggling work and family life. Uh, we wanna discuss best practices that districts can follow to offer guidance and support while also fostering a sense of community among students, parents, and teachers, all throughout this crisis. And we're excited to introduce our very first guest, Amy Valentine. Amy is the Executive Director of the Future of School, formerly known as the Foundation for Blended and Online Learning, a national nonprofit designed to support the growth of innovative school models and integrating blended and online learning. Prior to guiding the organization's incubation and launch, Amy managed a portfolio of Colorado schools, where she led an academic and operational turnaround. She also previously served as the executive director for the Network of Nobel Learning Communities in California. Amy has worked with traditional, blended, and online school communities as a teacher, administrator, professional developmenter, and curriculum specialist. It's so great to have you with us today, Amy. Thank
1: you, Jason, it's wonderful to be here, not only on behalf of Future of School, but also uh, from the perspective of former teacher and leader to be able to share some, some practical strategies and tools to help our, our district leaders and parents.
0: Well, I'm sure they're gonna appreciate appreciate it because we're all trying to figure this out. We also have Don Holmes, who's an education expert and who works with districts to provide increased learning opportunities and particularly for those students who may be struggling. In her thesis, she analyzed the most beneficial models of supporting students in the online learning environment, and her background is in alternative education. Under the current circumstances, she's now also working from home full-time while supporting her son as he navigates his district shift to virtual learning. We look forward to learning more about your experiences and hearing your tips. Don, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Jason. I'm excited to share things that I've learned from some of the, the brilliant educators I work with in the districts I support, and then also just things I've picked up at home. This is new for me as well to be on this side of the whole parent-district relationship and this big shift for our students.
0: Well, we're glad you're here, and we value your insight, and I agree we are all learning in this together so um, to get started, Don, would you share the first step that you think that districts could take in acknowledging the stress and the anxiety of the current situation?
2: Sure, Jason. I think just being open and transparent about what we're all experiencing is really important to um, just sometimes to put some words to what people are feeling and let them know that it's okay that this is new and maybe uncomfortable or maybe challenging It's good to reassure parents that you really do have a solid learning continuity plan in place. But before we can get to that, we really need to understand what each family situation is. We need to know what other support they may need. So be sure that your first priority is that the family's healthy and safe. Um, You can research various resources for food, shelter, technology, um, a lot of state um, education agencies, have places on their website that list by region or county or district or however your state education system's divided. Um, Be ready with those answers. As you encounter questions like that with families, it's great to take care of their basic needs first so that then we can begin to really partner with families um, to move forward in continuing educating our students. The only other thing I'd add to that is be sure your teachers have plenty of room to be um, establishing contact with families and building connections. Before we get to academics, we have to make sure that we've kind of eased the minds of parents, that we're going to be there to help them. We have a plan. We can support their students. We can support them. We know that this is is new to them and we don't expect that they're going to jump right in and be the experts.
0: Donna, I think that's great advice. And I. Um, Uh, Amy, you have a a unique perspective on this. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this as well. What do you think districts can do to recognize the stress that families are facing, especially as it comes to that shift um, to virtual learning?
1: Sure. It's it's a really important, um, great question that people are asking now. Over the last couple of weeks, we saw district leaders, principals, and teachers in a position of... Uh, fight or flight, right? It was what can I do today to get in the hands of my students what they need. To Dawn's point, whether it's food or the technology, or you know, following that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, it's been interesting to watch that to watch schools um, demonstrate to our society as a whole how important that is and how much schools and educators do to fill a variety of needs for their students. So in terms of acknowledging the stress that that really is it it's when when a district recognizes the stress that families are facing whatever type of stress it is that is the first step and I think that's the biggest step uh pretending that it isn't there downplaying the situation um I think you know that that tends to make it worse because families are looking to their schools now more than ever for that guidance we see this flipped model. It's, you know, like we, we've talked before about the flipped classroom. Well, now we have the flipped model of K-12 education where kids are at home being supported by their families in, in this time where um, we have a high unemployment rate in our country, right? So there, it's a very there's a lot of social changes that are happening right now. So as much as district leaders can keep in mind the big picture, that macro level, that there are so many moving parts and acknowledging and even saying outwardly to families, we know and understand that most families and students are not acclimated or they're most you know, you're not used to virtual learning programs. And we're gonna help you through. We're we're building this with you. So it's that building the train while you're building the tracks, which is a little, you know, counterintuitive to human nature, which is predictability and um being able to control the variables, which is what a lot of people do. And so I think it's remembering that virtual learning programs while they're not new to some people, they are new to most people when we look at the K-12 education space. So connection at all levels, I think, is of critical importance. A couple of strategies that that I've seen be extremely effective throughout the country, one is districts maximizing social emotional supports that their schools, both at the district level and at the school level, that they have, having online counseling sessions for just for parents, having a Having the school psychologist and their counselors come together to just provide some simple tips and tricks to families, I think that is is a great help. I also think simple things. I've seen districts and schools host open office hours where parents can go and families can go just to remain connected through the technology. It gets them more used to that technology. One thing that we're doing at Future of School, and, and again, we're a nonprofit, so you know we're not a consortium of districts or anything, is. We said, what can we do to honor and recognize educators? And so we put together a Teacher of the Week award. It's, you know, we're going to give award to a handful of teachers that they can use that money to set up their remote learning environment. It helps offset a little bit of the pressure on the teachers right now. So if a district can do something where it's a recognition or a shout out, those simple things go a long, long way to building morale in this new learning environment. And then finally, Jason, there are a couple of really interesting groups on Facebook right now. And I, I believe they're also on Twitter. They're, they're on social media, definitely on Facebook, that are ra- supported by nonprofits. And one is called um, Learning Everywhere. The other is called Parent Support for Online Learning. And another is called Future of School Stories. And so these are um, organically growing, growing very quickly, uh, networks of parents, educators, and leaders where they can connect and find resources and even just find a listening ear. So I would recommend looking to the nonprofit sector. There's lots of us out there that, are, that want to help, that have resources to help um, to support the needs of the transition for districts and families.
0: I mean that's so interesting uh, you use the word over and over connect and and I think we see that at a lot of, of levels where um, parents and educators and students are really seeking opportunities to connect so thank you for sharing um, those those resources um, they're they're gonna come invaluable Don I'm gonna uh, turn to you and and talk a little bit about the pace of change this is such a fluid situation and uh, it, you know Amy mentioned that you know in in day one, we were starting and we, and everything was changing on a daily basis. And that's all you could sort of process at that time. So as things are continuing to evolve and in light of that, what have you found to be an effective cadence of communication from the districts and how, and when should they keep up regular communication with parents without overwhelming them?
2: Sure, Jason, that's a great question that um In order to be effective in your communications with families, one of the things that's really important to do is just pause for a second before you start communicating and think about um, what's the most effective medium for communication with the parents in the community that you're serving. Anything from emails to automated calls or texts, um, personal calls from teachers, some of the social media resources that Amy Amy was referencing, um, there are things that you could kind of put in a specific place on your district website, once you've established what type of contact is going to work best with your families, then you can think about in the beginning, um, you may need to over communicate. So it could be that in the beginning, district or campus administrators are going to share um, reassuring updates, we've got a plan we're here for you. If you need basic resources beyond just educational resources, here are some places to look. The teachers can do more regular direct communications with families, maybe daily at first, um, checking in with families to see if their basic needs are met. Do they have the technology they need? Do they have situations where maybe Both parents are working from home while multiple children are working from home. Do they have four children that have to share one device? There there are just all kinds of different situations that can impact um, the families that we're serving and what type of communication and even how much communication um, they have the bandwidth for. And so one of the things that I've seen some districts do that really helps is I've seen them divide up a group of students per staff member. Maybe it's by a homeroom teacher or everybody's third period class or having some way to take a handful of students and say, this is your single point of contact if you can't find what you need. And then from there, looking at places that the teachers can um, consistently, reliably post their lesson plans for the week or the expectations for learning for the week. That could be um, emails from the different subject matter teachers. It could be in a single place on the website for the district or campus. And then having certain times that parents know that if they look by same noon on Monday, they'll have all the information they need for the week. And then the last piece of um, reaching out, connecting with families and setting clear expectations is to make sure that you're also communicating back that the students are submitting what you were expecting from them. Um, It was really helpful in our first week as a family in participating in the online learning to know that they were only doing concepts that they were reviewing and had already learned in the classroom that allowed us to really get used to the communications and what information were we getting, where did it come from, when did we get that information? How did we reach out if we had questions or needed help? And so in the beginning, over communicating, but then establishing those reliable patterns of how you're going to move forward. We know that this is not going to be a short term, two week band-aid answer solution. We know that this is something that's going to last a lot longer depending on what part of the country you're in. So setting a strong foundation from the start is really important.
0: Don, I think one of the interesting things that you highlight is in this period of crisis, we've seen so many people get creative and innovative in the ways that they're solving uh, the challenges that are in front of them and and in an effort to make sure that our students feel supported in that. And I think, you know, those strategies that the districts are doing to, to find that single point of contact, it's so powerful. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, Amy, from from your perspective, um, you know you see things at a at a national level. Um, could you share some communication tips that you found to be helpful um, to provide consistent and accessible communication for families?
1: Absolutely. And I, I ran across a quote recently that speaks to me, and I've been sharing it out on social media, and it, it addresses my philosophy on this question really well. And it was Oprah Winfrey a few years ago said. Great communication begins with connection. And so I think what we're going to see coming out of this down the road, you know, we call it six months, two years, is the critical importance of connectivity, being connected with your school community, schools being connected with their families, and also the vital role of the teacher. When you work in education, and if you've been an educator, you've worked in leadership, that's a, you know, it's a commonly held belief. I think that socially we've seen um, the role of teacher, you know, there's been challenges over the years and, um, you know, with the changing of society and the morphing of our society. So really, to me, that communication piece is critical at the district and school level, but even more so at the teacher level. So my secondary philosophy is that what's most important related to communication, and Dawn brought this up very eloquently, is it said it's happening. And to me, it's that it's happening in a variety of ways. It's that over communication piece, and also tapping into different mediums that speak to different people's styles. There's some families that you know they just don't tend to text, or they won't pick up the phone if they don't know the number. So it's taking that message and sharing it out in the ways that you know your community or your families will will be able to access it. Uh, Some specific tips and strategies that I've seen happen is communicating even if you don't have a lot of information it's been very heartwarming to see and hear from families that they appreciate when the district or the school says this is the update we have this is this is what we have for now we're you know we're we'll have more for you in the next few days in terms of how you're going to pick up your remote learning packet or when we might come back into the building or how you can access your your child's medication before we close so communicating even if you don't have the answer and it's not this perfect uh, press release or this document is it, that's really critically important uh, just like we see um, different governors doing in the state holding press conferences on a regular basis i don't know about you guys but i have N- never seen so many political press conferences directed to the people, updating them of the state of affairs. And that's it's. I feel better when I see our state governor on, even if he doesn't say anything that's earth shattering. It 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 lessens that the the fear of what's the next thing he's going to say, and it makes me feel like he's just he's caring about the people. And I think that's something that can be modeled at the district and school level. Dawn also brought this up, and I'd like to reiterate the. The student-centered communication, to me, is paramount right now. Most kids, are they're used to an environment where they're at a brick-and-mortar building, on the playground, with their friends, seeing their teachers. There's a community of students that have very successfully been graduating from full-time online programs, home-based, homeschool programs. There's a, there is a lot. There is Over the last 10 years, there have been even more variety in school choice. But because it hasn't been mainstreamed, the majority of Americans don't don't haven't seen that. So now we're in a situation where it's remote schooling for everybody and keeping kids at the you know at the heart of that communication is really important so that they don't feel like they're in isolation because they in most states they can't go outside and play with their friends. So it's how can we use video tools? How can we use an online platform to have just even a 20-minute social, 20 minute social time for the kids to connect and see each other. So I think that's really important too. And I think we're going to see a lot of ingenuity come out of that creative solutions. Um, I would recommend to districts and teachers to try to do the live direct instruction in real time, even if they're short, even if it's a teacher, you know, once they have their platform approved, kids are missing that. I'm hearing that over and over that the absence of the instruction in the online medium it's, it's such a disparity from a teacher, you know, the, the one-size-fits-all model where the teacher is standing up in front of the class and kids want to see their teachers in the online setting. They want them to be giving the lesson. There's a lot of great resources and tools like um, for those uh, tutorials and for direct instruction. But again, it goes back to the connection that the, that, that the student has with their teacher. They're going to absorb it faster and and oftentimes better if they have a connection with that person, they get to see their face versus a speaker who's been trained to get deliver that lesson. My last tip would be to see what's out there. There's so much information. There's seven remote tips for remote learning related to communication. There's communication strategies for remote oh. learning for special education students that people are sharing a lot right now. And mm-hmm. for families that want that disaggregated customized resource if you google it you likely will be able to find something that you're looking for or something related to it so i would also encourage families to see what's out there and to districts to share what's out there that they're comfortable sharing that's of a credible resource
0: yeah that's great those are such great ideas i mean i think i think of our kids who have been in the classroom for the first you know, three quarters, and now this last quarter, that whole connection to their teacher is different, and 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 we echo that same thing. We we see kids missing their their teachers, so I think those are great strategies. I'm gonna um since you were talking about that that teacher um, connection to the family on there, I want to ask if if um if you have any advice or suggestions for families that are having to juggle their child's education while also keeping their work life and their their, their other family uh, demands as, as well. Uh, so any recommendations that, that you have seen uh, that are work and that districts could also support in that capacity
1: yeah I'll answer from the personal perspective first and then um, you know from the district perspective um, I' I've, I've worked from home since 2005. And I, so I'm, I'm, a, I would say I'm an expert at it. I would put myself in the pro category of the working from home piece. Um, and I have an 11 year old son, and my son goes to a, a local charter school, and he's, uh, he's home, he's here, and so I've personally had to juggle it. And at the same time that I've had to, that he's had to learn this new remote learning environment, my job just by the sheer nature of our name, has the workload has increased exponentially because. This is something that at the future of school at our nonprofit, we give scholarships to kids who talk about the impact that blended and online learning has had on their lives. We've been doing this. This is our fifth year. We give grants to teachers who are innovating in the classroom, who want to bring their classrooms to the 21st century now. We do publish impact reports to be able to educate people about the importance of it. So it's almost as if everything we've been talking about and doing on a relatively, you know, on a national level, but a relatively small scale has been blown out of the water in a good way because we have, we have proof of concept of why it works and how it works. So now everyone who's been put in a position where they've had to rapidly adopt this very new way of thinking, and I don't, and I, and, and I give people a lot of credit. I give parents a lot of credit and teachers a lot of credit. If this is something you haven't known about or something you've been exposed to, the learning curve is steep. And it was very steep for my son, and I used to teach online and I've developed courses and I did my doctoral work in adult learning theory and instructional technology. But when you're home with your child, even if you have a background in it, it can be really challenging. So my advice would be, you know tactically, what we did was we set up a schedule where he has two two blocks of work a day, and those blocks of work is one in the morning and one in the afternoon. and I you know it's it does require. accountability partner and it does require me supporting him and guiding him because he's 11 and he's never done this. But what I've learned is whatever, when he's engaged in his class and he's watching the videos from his teachers and he's doing the work, he's learning. And so it's not to put so much pressure on him that he does everything perfect or he finds the exact drop box because we're all figuring it out together. It's having grace for him and also supporting his teachers with however I can and having grace for them and them having grace for us. So pragmatically, you know, what works for him is that block. For other kids, they want to sit down and they want to do their four hours of school, five hours of school, and they want to be done. So I think, you know, overall, not expecting a remote learning environment to look like a learning environment in a brick and mortar building, I think that is one big pitfall. And hand-raised I fell into it the first four days because I was trying to manage my household and my job. I'm like, you have to do this, you have to do it like this. And it's, hey, you have a but you have a more creative way to finish your assignment, do it. You want to record a video, I'll pitch that to your teacher if you I'll stand by you if you want to do that. So it's there is a lot of opportunity for growth here and creativity. So I would say to a district in a school, if families and kids are coming up with creative ways to demonstrate mastery and knowledge, please don't tell them they can't turn it in. Don't tell them not to do that. Because that's the whole, that's the beauty of where we can end up with this is it's going to its going to show us what's possible when we integrate technology in schools. And we have this blended model across our country that it's going to open doors for us that we can't, can't even imagine. So um, I'll get off my soapbox here because I could clearly keep going and say that it's a, it's a challenge for me. It's like that, um, you know, it's it's like in anything; it's Murphy's law. I, I'm I have a lot of knowledge in it, but when it comes to your own family and child, it can be really hard. So have patience, have grace. Teach math through by making recipes in the kitchen. Use ingredients. Empower kids to demonstrate their knowledge in creative ways. All of those things. There's a place for that now.
0: Yeah, that, that's. Uh, I, I think um, we're at the intersection of innovation. And grace, <laughs> because there's there's some rough ground in the middle where those two meet. Parents, families, students, teachers—we're all experiencing that right now. Um, Don, how how about you? I, I I know you you have both personal and professional experience with this. What what tips can you suggest?
2: Sure, I love what Amy had to say. I absolutely understand where she's coming from. I too have worked from home for several years and would also consider myself in the pro category, but working from home by yourself um, is very different from working from home. And um, many families have a spouse working from home as well. Um, I only have one child, a seven-year-old working from home. And the biggest thing that I can say to districts that is very similar to what Amy was saying is to be flexible Um, know that there could be two parents who are considered essential workers that aren't at home at all. There could be teenagers who are trying to keep up with their own learning while they're looking after smaller children because daycares are closed. And so we really have to think about flexibility. We can not only allow students to demonstrate what they know in different ways and submit work in different ways, but even in terms of our guidelines for schedule know that some students may need a week's worth of lessons up front so that over the course of a week, they can figure out when they can fit in which piece of learning based on um, other responsibilities that they may have. But the one beautiful thing that that could come from this is that the students are going to really, if we empower them, give them the tools they need, give them the support they need, they're going to be able to really... Um, take some initiative and take control of their learning. And what wonderful life skills, what an opportunity to teach students things that are going to help them succeed wherever they end up beyond high school. And um, I'm excited to see what that's going to do for our learners. When we return to school in the fall, I'm excited to see how this flexibility and innovation, both on the part of the districts and the students is going to impact the way that we approach education in the future. I think that while this is a really challenging time, um, what an opportunity to learn new tricks and to teach our students new tricks.
0: Don, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, 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 I think there are some very silver linings that are coming out of this, and 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 I think our our students will be more prepared for the future that faces them because what we don't know is what that future is going to look like. But my my guess would be, and a lot of theorists. All of this, as well, that we will be doing more uh, virtual activities and figuring out how to navigate that early on is going to definitely help our kids up front. Amy, what would you suggest to districts who are developing resources for families and a place to direct them to answer questions about virtual learning plans? Um, Any any ideas or suggestions on what it should look like and what should be included in that?
1: I do, yeah, and I kind of broke you know my thinking around this into three different buckets. I think. There's three critical pieces. One is timing. The second one is the location, and the third one is the longevity. So th- there's so many tools and resources out there right now, which which is a good thing, right? Where there's sharing, it's we see the saturation of information, right? Whether it's a platform or a re- uh, best list of best practices and so i could see as a district leader it being overwhelming as you know in now that we're in this phase where people are starting to n- realize in some states you know kids won't be going back to school till next year <clears throat> and in other states it's it's potentially coming that i could see one of the barriers being we don't want to roll this out until we get it just right we want to get it perfect because we want to make sure that our uh, virtual learning plans are you know are neat and tied up with a bow and that we communicate that effectively. I have great respect for that, but I also think that providing the resources right now is critical. Asking question, you know asking questions of parents if necessary and then providing answers and support. So you've got the virtual learning plans, which is the, you know, that's the instruction, the tools, the how is the teacher going to support. So you've got that kind of one way side of it. And I think that there also should be a, a second avenue to that, which is the two way communication going on with families. So once the timing, you know, once the district leader can come up with what they feel like is, is sufficient that they can enhance, then the second piece is the place. Finding a location, a one-stop shop, where can families and kids go that they know that this information is going to be? Maybe it's the website. Maybe it's through email. But at least they know that if they, even if things are being communicated from different angles, they know if I go to Infinite Campus or if I go to my Google Classroom, whatever it is, that if I go there, that that's where the information will be, even if I miss it. I think that's really important. And you can create this kind of school mailbox concept in there where you can gather inquiries, you can share responses. And I think the sharing out piece is is also really important. I would love for my son's school to have a weekly top three FAQ. I would love that. I'd love to see here's the top three most common questions we got this week. And here's, here's the answers to them. Because even if it's five people asking the question, it's more than one. And other parents are going to have likely those questions because they may not be there yet. They may not have even reached that place in the content or in the remote learning plan. In that recycling of information back to families, share a, a highlight from a teacher. Ask your teachers to take pictures of their learning environments. Give a quote or a morale booster. Visuals that uh, that are low taxing and low energy can go so incredibly far right now. We're going to announce our Teacher of the Week award today. And I'm going to put my boots on and my hat and my coat because it's snowing here in Colorado. And I'm going to go outside and I am going to announce it on a 20-second on a video. Not because I like to be on the video and not because I particularly am looking forward to it. But I'm going to do it because when, when the teachers hear me say, I used to be a teacher and I'm so honored to give you this, this gift card just for making it through the week, that goes a long way. Small things, even if they're outside of our comfort zone, can go a really long way. And then the last thing that I'll end with, which was around the longevity piece, is the other reason why it doesn't have to be perfect is because this is temporary, right? It's we're in a temporary situation. It's important that families and kids know the buildings will reopen. What that looks like, I don't know. When I have, I don't know. But the schools are going to reopen. So there was a quote by Dave Hollis that says, "In the rush to return to normal, use this time to consider which parts of normal." are worth rushing back to. And I have found so much solace personally and professionally in that quote because we're seeing such amazing things happen that we don't want to just take all of that and have it go to the wayside when the time comes to pick up the pieces and build an even stronger system. We want to leverage that for stronger schools and more capable teachers and more skilled students like Dawn said. And and so that's what I would say to that.
0: Wow, I love that. That what 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 great advice, um, and it I think it 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 plays so much into the conversation that we're having that we're identifying these these beacons of of hope and light and creativity and innovation that are being really effective. Um, so I, I I I love what I'm hearing. It's a a great great idea. All right, Don, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well because I know you have some great ideas about providing best practices for effective resources to families, especially who are adjusting to this new virtual type of programming.
2: Sure. And, and I, I definitely appreciate what Amy was saying in terms of, um, having that one-stop shop approach, making it as easy as possible for families. And one of the things too, to be thinking about once you've identified where and how you're going to be communicating about resources to families is to think beyond just the academics. Um, We've talked a couple of times about things we can do to encourage a sense of community. Is it um, harnessing social media to be able to establish Um, parent communities, you know, by grade level, by subject, by class of 2020, um, by eighth grade and so forth. And also doing things to make sure that the students are staying connected, opportunities for them to have video chats with teachers or office hours with teachers And then also thinking about the other services that a brick and mortar school is providing for students that they may have come to depend on, Um, thinking about what services your counselors have provided and how can you offer video chats or harness the skill set of these people to even support families that sound like they're struggling I think it's a time to just be really creative, to think about what's in the toolbox of each of your staff members, and what are the needs of your community and your families, and kind of do some um, creative thinking to match up people that can really help out in ways that um, they haven't been called upon in the past. It's also helpful to make sure that you're still um, checking in to make sure they still have the meals, the technology, whatever resources they needed, because As the situations evolve, as more people lose jobs and may have a harder time providing, those needs in the beginning can still change over time. Um, This is definitely the short term. We know that things will return to that normal. And I love that quote about normal and determining what's worth rushing back to. But when it does return, between now and then, a lot could happen because The other thing that we have to think about with our families and our students is that the rest of life is not on hold just because of this finite crisis of sorts. Um, Students who didn't need counseling services while they were in the school, there still could be illness in the family, a death, a divorce, other life issues. Um, Life keeps moving forward in, in many ways, even though we've had to pause in so many ways. And so, monitoring the range of resources your students will still need, and thinking about the people you have that can provide them. Um, It's definitely, we've said it before, but it's definitely in time of innovation.
0: It most definitely is a time of innovation. We know that this pandemic has been completely overwhelming for nearly everyone, me included. Uh, Minutes before we started recording this podcast, we found out that we're going to be self-distancing for at least another 60 days in the state that I'm in. And I know the mental state that that put me in. And I'm curious about some suggestions about how districts can reassure individuals and families to help them stay positive throughout the stress of the situation, especially as we we consider the the duration and, or the horizon of it. Um, Amy, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that
1: tall drink of water there, huh? Nothing, just ending with the with, <laughs> easy question, huh, Jason? Yeah, you know, I I'll, from the district perspective, I think one of the biggest risk factors right now, there is a, obviously health and wellness, social well, be, you know, mental well-being and all of the support that students need. Those things come first. But in terms of the academics, the potential for students to risk their love or their interest in learning, if remote learning is forced upon kids faster than their ability to adopt it, is is a challenge. That's a risk, and I think one of the things that can be done to avoid that is exactly what you said in the question, and that's districts reassuring families to to stay positive throughout the stress of this, because there are so many other factors, as Don said, so many other aspects of their lives that are happening at the same time. So I would say that district leaders are in a great position to say that to them, to reassure them, to inspire them to believe and and to feel through their words and through their presence that we can all, all of us replace fear and worry with innovation and inspiration and that what everyone has talked about today that teachers are creating new learning environments, they're being very innovative and those things should be celebrated that students are rising to the occasion, that it's an opportunity for them to hone in on their uh, on their critical thinking skills, on their 21st century skills, on their, their mastering technology. They're learning how to advocate for themselves. In some cases, instructing themselves through more of this video-based environment for the schools that aren't doing live lessons yet, that there's a lot of beauty in that for this temporary situation that we're in. And that Districts communicating to families that even though students may not be learning, quote unquote, how they always have, that they're still learning and that they're going to be okay. I believe that whatever the district and the school places emphasis on, so will the parents and this will filter down to the students. So I think district leaders are in an amazing position to be influencers and to be the beacons that families need right now for some of them for their basic needs, but also For the fears that they have around this new learning environment. I also think that sharing success stories, like I talked about before, school mailbox, remote learning, tales of remote learning in, you know, kit Carson School District, whatever it is, sharing those success stories, having kids share them too, helps inspire them and points them to what how this is going to help benefit them in the future. And then I think, it's, I think it's also very appropriate right now to use humor. As a district leader, it's okay to find a, a, a funny meme, you know, that's appropriate for families to share with their kids. Um, I saw one last week that said, everyone better get a highly effective on their yearly evaluation for technology integration. And, and for those that <laughs> don't great. know, it's one of the domains that te- teachers are in many states they are um, evaluated on their ability to integrate technology in their classroom. So I I love that. It's lighthearted. It's, you know, and and maybe that's a little bit too, you know, maybe a a district leader wouldn't want to include that, but there's enough fun lighthearted um, jokes out there that I think can, can lift people's spirits as well. And I think it's very appropriate to come at the school level um, to raise those smiles and keep people inspired.
0: I think you're exactly right on that. Um, Dawn, what would you provide as far as insider input on how we can reassure families and help them stay positive?
2: Sure. We've talked a lot about the importance of um, making the connections with family and staying with connected with the families in the district you serve. And one of the things that district administrators can do periodically is to share big updates that could help alleviate stress. If the State has changed things around graduation requirements or testing. That's changing constantly. And a lot of those shifts take the pressure off of families in terms of worrying about ticking all the boxes for education for the year. And then that just opens up the the door as well for the educators to just continue to be partners with the parents or whoever is at home helping the students learn. One of the things that we talked about earlier in this program, and a word that I just I love in this situation is um, extending grace, understanding everyone's not going to submit everything in the right place at the right time on time. And you know, at the end of the day, the students may not have learned all the concepts that you wanted to teach, or that you would have taught in your brick and mortar school. But this experience is going to teach them so much more than what they could have learned in a classroom. So if parents do have a lot of demands placed on them outside of trying to help their students learn, it's really important that when they do get to nec- to connect with their children, they're getting to use what their skill set is to teach students, whether it's cooking, gardening, fixing broken appliances, um, just anything that could be a learning opportunity for students. As Amy said, it's so important to keep students excited about learning. And, you know, we can catch up on skill gaps later when we get back to a normal in the fall, or as we maybe have opportunities to engage with each other more over the summer. um, We can find different creative ways to work on skills gaps. It's just really important that we, in the meantime, find those fun creative resources. Um, Amy mentioned some fun memes. I've also seen a lot of fun activities like an outdoor scavenger hunt to replace a science lesson. And so there, there are a lot of things out there that are really creative that can help not only address what students need to learn, but how much they need to stay active and engaged and excited about learning. I think when they look back years from now, the students that we're helping right now, they're not going to remember what they learned, but they'll remember how they felt.
0: I think you hit the nail on the head on that one. And with that, I'm going to start to form, form closure. And I wanted to say thank you to both of you, Amy and Don. I, I think this has been such a great conversation and I truly believe that it will help districts and parents and students who are all navigating these challenging times together. Shifting an entire district to virtual learning is no small feat and the two of you have certainly humanized that experience for all of us in our conversation today. Uh, my big takeaways from this session are a couple of things. One is just the importance of connections. I heard that word over and over. that I was just so inspired by the creativity or creativity that I see humanity delivering on right now. Um, innovation is happening and we will get through this. And I think that that other big word that I heard a lot of was grace, giving ourselves grace, giving each other grace. Um, to both of you, I appreciate your collective wisdom. Um, I will also take this away in the rush to return to normal, I will consider what is worth rushing back to. The most important piece of advice that I took away was that we need to remember that districts are serving families who are going through their own crisis and their own difficulties in the middle of this pandemic. By first considering their stress and anxiety, assessing their needs, and making sure that those are met, we can keep our students safe, happy, and healthy which will ultimately support the best outcomes for our students. Thank you again. Thank you for your time today, Amy and Don. Your discussion, it was extraordinary. It was reassuring, and it was very helpful. We look forward to listener feedback on today's show. Please reach out to us with questions or comments at info at or write us a review on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks so much for listening in today, and we will see you next time.